the last couple of years, I have I've learned a lot. Uh, I've changed a lot. This experience of being a church has been one of the best experiences for my life, and and kind of uh, a lot of my learning is interpreted for me by by Jamel. Actually, he he teaches me a lot. Uh, there's no sarcasm in that. Uh, that's true. He, he's he's taught me a lot, and um, like I remember, he had to teach me that. One of the first times when I spoke, he said, when someone says, say it again, you don't actually literally have to say it again. <laughs> because my first couple sermons were an hour 20. Because, I, oh, I'm not being articulate right now. I'm sorry. I, I was mumbling. And uh, one of the other things is I had never named a sermon before. I, I didn't grow up doing that. He, he does. Like, he'll name something like the, my dissertation on... On the correlation between 90s hip hop and Luke 15. And I'd get up and be like, we're talking about freedom. And so he's helping me, and he named this week Shake What Your Mama Gave You. <laughs> and in where I come from, we would say, like, freedom from the boundaries of this world. It's like Donald Glover, Charles Gambino, you know, like it's that kind of thing. So you go with whichever one fits you best here, but um, we're very glad that, that you're here, that you're here on Mother's Day. Mother's Day always reminds me of, because I'm selfish, I remember me, right? So Mother's Day reminds me of when I was young. I lived on Aldridge Avenue, and uh, I would... Every year, I would go buy my mom flowers, and I would get on my bike. The first year I did it, I remember I was just hoping they would let me go far, you know, and flowers were far. So I went really for a selfish reason. I wanted to cross DuPont, which was this busy road, and go up to Humboldt, and Humboldt in front of the donut shop and the barber shop was a gas station that sold flowers, and apparently those are the best flowers to a young man on a bike. You pay a lot for, like, bad quality flowers, but that's where I was going. And the first year they let me go, I remember I was so scared to cross DuPont because it was busy. And then you go up to Humboldt, and Humboldt is a super busy road, and I go and get my mom flowers, and I bike back. But I bike back really fast, partially because I'm scared, and partially because I've got this awesome gift. But I'm biking, and the flowers are in between the, the brake and the handle. And when I come home... She has, like, flowers-ish. <laughs> you know, they weren't that pretty at the gas station, but by the time we got home, she was like, huh, thanks. <laughs> and I heard the sincerity in her voice, and so every year I would bike up. Even when I had my driver's license, I would bike up to Humboldt <laughs> and bring her back these broken flowers. One year uh, when I lived away after... Uh, we even had kids. I, I went to that same gas station, paid $10,000 for a, six bad flowers and broke them on the way to my mother's house. On my, well, that time I was in a car because my bike was far. But yeah. And there's just something about a, a, a lot of, of you moms, where almost every mom, where you, you see the, the, the blurred heart the good mixed with bad intentions, and, and you somehow find that gift to be uh, cherished. 
and there to be some beauty in that. And so um, I pray that, that you feel celebrated today, even if there are broken flowers. I pray that you feel honored today, even if it, it, it feels like mixed intentions. I pray that somehow God speaks to the core of who you are and, and affirms you. Um, I know Mother's Day has, hopefully, a lot of rejoicing and a lot of celebrating, and children always say a lot of photo taking. Um, but I also know Mother's Day can be hard. There's some people who are, are missing a mom or have a strained relationship with a mother or with a child. There's some people who want to be a mom and are not yet um, or maybe never will be. Um, I know that there's a lot on this. And so let's, let's pause and, and pray together that God just meets us where we are. And then we're going to go into, into this text and in this message, okay? Heavenly Father, we praise you for who you are. And whatever emotion is being felt right now, whatever posture we have going into Mother's Day, we pray that you would meet us there. We pray that for everybody, mothers, women, everybody in this room, that you would speak to the core of who we are today. That you would bring freedom. That the boundaries that this world puts on us would begin to, to weaken and we would have courage to step outside of those into who you've called us to be. Thank you. In your name. Amen. Well, for me on this Mother's Day, my, my mom is in, in Minneapolis, and my brother and sister are spoiling her, and, and my wife. There, there's always that weird thing for husbands, right, where we celebrate Mother's Day with our wife. And like we remind our kids, hey, don't buy broken flowers. I did that one. And you try to get them to buy something and, and all this. Well, Nikki's in Ethiopia. Uh, and I was like, uh, is, is that where you want to be? And she was like, honestly, yeah, I love my kids. But yeah, it sounds great to like, I'm going to like go to a movie. She went to Avengers in, in Ethiopia. Um, because there's something to Mother's Day that no matter how you're doing, it feels a little bit like a report card day. On the last year, how did I do as, as a mom? We all have days like this, right? Like, if you're not a mom, you have different days that come up on the calendar that you remind you. It, for some of us, it's Valentine's Day. For fun, some of us, it's Father's Day. It's an anniversary or a birthday. We feel like it's a report card day, and, and we don't always feel success. Now, what's that based on? Well, last week, if you weren't here, I want to encourage you to listen to the sermon that Jamel gave I don't remember what it was titled, but it was fantastic. Uh, and we looked at shame. And he brought us back to the Garden of Eden, back to Adam and Eve, where shame first reared its head, and Adam and Eve interpreted their eating of the apple as, I am bad. And many, unfortunately, too many moms who I've spoken to or who've spoken to Nikki are walking around with that label. I'm not good enough at this. I'm not like those other moms, and therefore I'm faulty. And so let's look at where the origin of this is. Uh, if, if you go to Genesis chapter 3, starting in verse 7, then the eyes of both Adam and Eve were opened after they ate of the fruit, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the 
garden in the cool of the day, and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. They hid themselves. I think we do this sometimes. We forget who God really is and we hide. Adam and Eve, they had these fig leaves. We, we, we don't really have fig leaves. We have like social media we hide behind, we cover with. They realized they were naked. A lot of us are just afraid we'll be exposed. That someone will find out that not every meal is as pleasant as our last Facebook posts. And though we're really happy to see our kids as they're tucked in or they're, they're winning in some life event, we're not always happy to see our kids when they're fighting or spilling more peanuts on the floor like mine did yesterday. And so we're afraid of being exposed. We, we feel this shame and we cover up just like Adam and Eve did. But what if we were free from that shame like Jamel taught last week? Hopefully this week you walked in that. What if that shame was not yours to live within? What if we experienced God's mercy before we had figured it all out? As, as Jamel brought us to Genesis 3 last week, I kept reading this week, and was brought to verse 21. Before Adam and Eve ever fix all of their life and come back and, and make amends, we see that, that God says, and the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skin and clothed them. Their fig leaves of shame were not the clothing they were to be in, and as an act of mercy, God met them and clothed them. And then did all of the work to restore them to the freedom they were meant to have. And that, more than anything, more than, more than being about just historical accuracy, that is recorded for us to see that that is us. That we once lived in shame. And we knew how to cover ourselves. And we knew how to live feeling exposed. But... God in His goodness shows mercy. Well before we do anything, well before we even know how to do anything, He covers us with His mercy. Okay, with that in mind, I think it's safe for us to look at where some of the shame comes from, right? If we don't have to live in it, we can see where, where is it? Where is the source of this? How can we be free from this and look more at it. And again, we're going to look at what if we not only live free of shame, of condemnation in the law, but what if we live free from the boundaries of this world? What would that look like? And so turn with me to, to Romans 12, 1, my Bible. We usually read when I preach out of the ESV, we're going to read out of the NIV today. He says this, therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. I love this verse. This is one of the first verses I ever memorized. We see mercy again, right? The, our, our purpose, our reason behind this is God's mercy. And then we, we read this, and if you've read it like me, moms in particular, this can read like, oh great, I'm just supposed to do this more. Awesome. You can easily read this and feel like you are a lamb led to slaughter covered in laundry and dishes. 
Because we're just to offer our bodies as a living sacrifice and just go give more. And I've got nothing to give. I couldn't even get up this morning. And now I just need to go do that more. And, and we, can see, we can see this and just heap more pressure on ourselves if we misread the Scripture. Then when you find out that this offering is meant to be given with thanksgiving and joy, when this is one of those like offerings of praise kind of offerings, then we feel this shameful correction on us too, that not only are we to be led to the slaughter with laundry and dishes, but we're supposed to enjoy it. Awesome. This might be corrective, but it's corrective in a liberating way. It is liberating. And, and here's what I mean by this. Look at the very next words. Do not conform to the pattern of this world. Do not conform. We're going to come back to 12.1, but do not conform to the patterns of this world. Now, I will... Moms in particular, I want you to think, how would your kids describe you on their good days? Not when they're like crabby and mean. Not those days. But like in the sweet things that they write in a card. What what, would they say? They sometimes have some really nice things to say, right? Every now and then. If they don't come to me, I'll pretend to be your child. I'll pull like a Kevin Butcher thing and I'll go the other way. we'll, we'll, We'll be all right. But here's another question for you, moms, and say this aloud. What does the world expect of you? For you moms in the room, or, or others who know what the world expects of moms, let some people actually answer back. What does the world expect of moms? Perfection. Perfection. Nurture. Nurture. Sacrifice. Sacrifice. Unconditional love. Have it together. Time, unlimited time. My goodness. Understanding. Money. (laughs) Amen. Amen. That one's true. No. Strength. Yeah. You put all that stuff together. That is a. That's a load, right? I I read somebody said that they are trying to live into this having an open door and an open table for everybody in their community, and yet they have to have a spotless home and a perfect family. They don't know how to carry both of those. I I don't have anybody over, and I still don't have a spotless home and a perfect family, so I don't know. I can carry any of it. There's just a ton of weight, and I know that a a lot of us feel that weight every day. So I, I grew up in Minneapolis, as, as you know, but uh, I don't know if you know this, there's, there's snow 13 months a year up there. And, and we don't have mountains. We have like uh, hills of ground where they made a parking lot. And we would call them like massive hills and mountains and stuff. But, it, you know, it's like a speed bump. And with the snow, you go snow sledding. And I did this like twice in my life before I realized it was cold out and that's not fun. But most kids, like, that's how they spend their winter. You just go snow sledding. And as soon as it snows, you meet everybody in your class at the hill. We never cancel school. No matter how many feet of snow there is, you just go. 
because the school district loves parents and thinks that parents' sanity is important. And so you just send the kids no matter what. And uh, the snow would hit, and you would, you'd bring your sled in your 17,000 layers, and you would work your way to the top of this hill, and you'd go down. And if you were like after the third kid, you knew exactly where you would end because the groove was made, right? But we all knew on the hill where the dips were. And the goal on these giant red sleds were to hit the dip and be able to go up because that would make you awesome. I made it once and I cracked some ribs and got a concussion and spent three days in the hospital. But my friends were like, you did it. You did it. I was like, (laughs) but everybody would watch the first couple kids go because if they missed, if they missed it, we all would miss it because your sled, no matter what, would just follow the ruts of that first kid. You know what I'm talking about. You've seen people sled. You say we go sledding in Louisville, but it's not really. But like you're just stuck. And no matter how much like leaning and all this, you try to blaze a new trail. It's really, really hard to get out of the rut that is carved out in front of you. This is what our culture does to each one of us each one of us. And so think on this. Think how the world has us figured out. And we do this because then it's really easy. We don't have to think too much about one another, right? We do it because like, oh, I already know who you are. The world has already figured out young moms, right? The world's already figured out stay-at-home moms or a single mom or a stepmom. We know who they are without ever meeting them. That, that groove is already carved out. And we invite them to just live the path that culture has given them. It's not just moms. A college-age male, I know exactly what to think. Culture stopped me. Or a teenager. We know what to think of teenagers. Or, real honest, an adult black male. Culture, the news, is constantly telling us what to think. Listen to police reports. It constantly shows what we're to think. The world has a role for us to play and boundaries to keep us there. And Paul writes to that very thing and says, do not conform. Do not conform to the pattern of this world. Even when he wrote it, this was a counter-cultural statement. Even when it was written, it was written to people who did not understand that they could live outside of the boundaries of what other people said that they could. And he was like, listen, you live according to the the law of Jesus Christ, which is freedom. And the boundaries that your culture puts on you, that your family puts on you, that foreign entities put on you, all of that, those boundaries go away because Jesus is supreme to each of them. So now let's go back to 12.1. This is all in view of God's mercy. That is our reason. That is our motive. We are, not, we are not doing any of this to get back at somebody or vengeance or like to prove someone wrong. Because, you know, if, if someone says you're to go this way and you go this way just to fill them wrong, your eyes are still on them. They're still controlling you. It's just like you flip the magnet. That's all it is. They're still controlling you. Paul's not talking about that. He says, not in light of your culture, not in light of the boundaries and the patterns, in light of God's mercy. 
That is our reason. That is our motive. Offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. Now he's writing this book of Romans to Greeks, right? Now these, these Greeks, the idea of offering their body, that's embarrassing. That's a horrible thing to say. There's a separation of spirit and body. There's this, the body is everything that is bad. And we act like we've evolved so much. We've changed so much. Scripture has been clear for thousands of years, and yet we still live in this way. We still have this thought that we wouldn't identify with our body, and yet Paul says, no, in light of God's mercy, offer your body as a living sacrifice. That isn't a bad translation of the word. Body is the right translation of the Greek word. And that really, really matters. Because here's the thing. We know from the Old Testament that, that broken down, poor sacrifices are not, are not welcomed by God. He says in Malachi, don't bring your lame sacrifice to me. Don't bring the worst of your herd and say that that's your sacrifice to me. Don't do that. I would rather you shut the doors to the temple than do that. Don't give me your worst. And then to you and to me, he says, now offer your body as a living sacrifice. Offer your body as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. Not rejected by God. So maybe some of us need to rethink our body a little bit. On my best of Mother's Days, I would go to that gas station, get some flowers, bike back carefully to bring these to my mom, and they were still a bit broken, and they were still a bit cheap, but they were the best of what I had, and my mom will still talk about those gifts because she knew that they were the best I had to offer. You may be a little broken and a little bruised and a little hit by the brakes and the handlebars, but to your father... Your body offered to Him is the most beautiful of gifts. We need to know this. And you need to hear this. Your body is pleasing. That means your gender, your ethnicity, your orientation, your size, your shape. These are often things that we are taught to be embarrassed of or to hide, or to grow past. No, that is not what Scripture says. That is who He made you, and when He made you, He said, this is my image, drops you on the earth, and you live your days as a living sacrifice to Him within that body. Don't, don't change and lie about who you are. Be you as a living sacrifice. Our body is often a source of confusion. Moms, I feel for you. The weight that you carry, you have to be perfect as, as a mom, then you have to be perfect for society, and you have to be perfect for men and people and all this silly, silly stuff. Don't conform to that. Your body and, and all that that means, offer that up as a living sacrifice. This is not something that leads to death. It's a living sacrifice. This is not something that should beat us down and make us just weird. Like, oh, 
No, this should be, we should be more alive the more we offer ourselves as a sacrifice. The sacrifices of the Old Testament were dead. That what ma- that's what made them the sacrifice. It was like a sheep, and then it was a sacrifice. You and me, we were lost, and then we were a living sacrifice. Now here's where it gets tricky. Our, 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 our bodies, they, they can lead us into sin. They can. But they're not shameful. They're not. God made us. And he says exactly who we are. He says in Romans 8 that our body is where the Spirit dwells. He says in 1 Corinthians 6, our body is God's temple. Let's redeem that. Let's not feel that shame, that guilt, that pain. Let's come to God as we are, as a sacrifice. Bound to this world, not not as God describes. We're not bound to this rut that's carved out in front of us. Instead, we're told to not conform, whether that is a silver spoon given from mouth from birth or or the school to prison pipeline, whatever the the grooves laid out in front of us, do not conform to that. Now, there's some tricky points to this, right? I've met a few people who found out that I was a part of one church. They read my name, never heard me, never whatever. Jamel and I go somewhere, they meet Jamel first, and they're like, oh, he's cool, and then they meet me. No lie. They go, wow, you're white. (laughs) Yeah, I've learned what you mean. I didn't know what you meant before. But I now know what you mean. And what they mean is like they are surprised that I kind of live within the groove of, of white. That I, I, I listen to Ben Folds. They're surprised. <laughs> that I choose that. Right, Jamel doesn't know. White people just laugh. That's funny, Jamel. Jamel, that is funny. You don't need bass. <laughs> That's white funny. Come on. (laughs) And then the trick is always like, am I just conforming? Am I just in this route because this is what the... No, this is me. And as a living sacrifice, I just happen to be on the same road that a lot of stuck white people are. (laughs) And I can be like, hey, you don't have to be stuck. It's not the road's fault. It's the stuckness's fault. I feel this sometimes when I talk to someone who's a single mom, and they feel like, I don't know, or I I feel stuck into this thing where I have to work three jobs, or I have to, no, that just is what you have to do. It's not, culture's throwing stuff on you that's not fair. But like, you're doing the best you can do. Don't dog yourself. Just continue to offer your life as a living sacrifice. Just keep doing that. You're not bound to this world. Don't conform to it. But if we're not conforming to this world and our only intent is to not be conformed to this world, then our eyes are on this world and the rut that it offers, right? We're not supposed to live like that. That's like the magnet in reverse again. So what are we to do? He says the very next thing. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is his good, pleasing, and perfect will. 
It's not about looking at the grooves that the world has for you. When you're in those boundaries, you push against them because you don't belong bound to this world. But our focus is to be on transforming, being transformed by the renewing of our mind. I, for a while, didn't like that it was renewing of our mind. I went back, tried to change the Greek so that it would say, feel good. I don't care about what I think. I care about what I feel. And then I went to like, like Myers-Briggs stuff, and I found out that I was led by feeling, and I was like, no doubt. I know that one. I cry 17 times a day. I know this. And then I read things like this, and I'm like, okay, my, how I'm wired is not bad, so I, I can feel. And if you are a feeler like me, stay at it. I need you. If nothing else, I need you. But for feelers especially, read this. It is not renewing of your feelings. It is renewing of your mind. We need this. We can't be sloppy in our thoughts. We can't be just countercultural for the sake of being countercultural. That's boring. That's predictable. That doesn't attract anybody. That is not light to the world. That is just being defiant. We're to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. How does that happen? The only way that I know it happens is to live life next to people with Scripture open and the Holy Spirit guiding. That's it. That's all I know. That's all I know. Sometimes people tell you, just go, just you and your Bible, and just stay that way for the rest of your life. Don't do that. Don't do that. You're going to give yourself dumb things to think about. Don't do it. That's not helpful. But it's also not helpful to just be with people and just lean on the Holy Spirit and not know the Bible at all. We need that. So uh, we were over here like a month and a half ago, and Jamel's teaching our leadership team about Daniel. And I get all excited about what he's teaching and all passionate about the very beginning of Daniel and Daniel's being defiant, but not for the sake of defiance. It's this very thing of like not conforming and really embracing who God made him to be and honoring God as as a living set. Read Daniel 1. It is like living out this. It's like Romans is a description of Daniel 1. I'm reading this and reading on later, and I feel the Holy Spirit. And, and some of you are like, what does that mean? Like for me, I don't, he, some people hear God. I don't hear him like, hey, Mac. He doesn't do that to me. But I'll just feel something where I need to like stop reading for a second. And, and it's like a gut check, right? And I felt the Holy Spirit and I'm read, as I'm reading, and here's what I felt. I'm all excited about Daniel, right? And I feel, Matt, you're not Daniel. And I was like, oh, well, he's the hero of the story. I want to be Daniel. Are you not Daniel? Okay, what am I supposed to do then? And I read this story, and there are people in power, and then there's Daniel. I'm like, oh, right, right, I'm, I'm not Daniel. And I read on, and not that I can't learn from Daniel, not that I can't identify with Daniel. I'm telling you about a specific moment with me and God reading Scripture, and I, I, I feel from him. I read on, and a couple chapters later, the king, one of the people in power, identifies with these people who are oppressed and displaced. He identifies with them and identifies, hey, the Lord that you follow, like, that is the one true God. And then verses later, that king, that person in power, 
because his power was threatened, throws people in a fiery furnace. And I have always read that, identifying with those in a fiery furnace, right? And I read it differently this time, like, okay, Lord, where do I need to stand up to call people to be consistent? Where do I need to be consistent? Where are we apologetic just to like make the moment pass? Where are we sympathetic to move the moment along? And when do we just have a posture of sympathy and empathy and learning from one another? And in this moment, my mind started to change. My thoughts started to change because I was in community with Scripture opened and an ear to the Holy Spirit. Your mind transforms and then discerns the will of God, His good and pleasing and perfect will. So here's a question for you as we end. What boundaries has the world put on you? It might be the world. It might be culture. It might be your neighborhood. It might be people you live with. If there are people that you know, you might need to have a conversation after this. Your act of worship might be having a conversation and saying, hey, you know what, like, I I can't live like this. That box that you have me in, I I need freedom from it. That rut you have carved out from me, I need freedom from that. What boundary has the world put on you? And like we did a couple months ago, where do you need to stop adding your amen? Where do you need to stop agreeing? Who's saying that you're less or you're shameful? or you should be hidden. And your first act needs to be stop saying amen to that and then start to believe and start to become who God's invited you to be all along. If God sets us free from our boundaries and has declared us free, then we are free indeed. And free people who are passionate and not asking permission to cross boundaries, they are the most dangerous and most attractive people out there. People who believe that who God called them to be is who they are, and they're to live into that. Those are the people who are the salt and the light, and that's who we're to be. Moms, I pray that what you experience today in worship, whatever the day holds, that somehow that makes you more free. And that maybe by butting up against the very boundaries and not adding your amen, or that maybe by being given a glimpse of life without that. But may you be free. And church as a whole, we don't have this freedom by declaring it for ourselves. That's not where it comes. Our freedom doesn't come from us saying, hey, you know what, I'm not who you say that I am. It's not just by declaration. Our freedom comes from Jesus. It is by His mercy. Because of His mercy. Because of who Jesus is and what He has done and what He has invited us into that we are free. And so we're not leaning on our own selves, we're we're leaning into Him and on Him and experiencing His freedom there. Some of you, for the first time, may, may need somebody to talk to. You may be like, hey, I've heard of Jesus, but that freedom, I want that freedom. 
And some of you may be real bound up. And you may need somebody to pray with or talk to. We're going to have some leaders around the room. Somewhere. We're going to have some leaders on the outside who would love to pray with you, who would love to talk with you. But don't leave here in the same rut you walked in. You know, the only way when we were sledding on that hill to blaze a new trail was to not start on the rut that someone made before us. We just had to start on, like, clean snow. And we didn't know exactly where that road took us, and that's what scared us about it. So many of us would just take the path we already knew. Let's be free people. Let me pray for us, okay? Father, thank you for this church.